got here? Fabulous. Thanks. Team, thank you so much. That was awesome. I really enjoyed that. Thank you. You've, um, you've prepared us and primed the pump, ready to receive. You've woken us up. Are we, are we, are we, are we going to continue with worship or we're, we're right into it? Well, thank you. You can now relax. Thanks heaps. So good to be here. What Michelle didn't tell you is, um, and you can all sit down if you like. <laughs> it's like being in school, isn't it? <laughs> what Michelle didn't tell you is I also have five grandchildren. I know. It was a good thing I got married at 12, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, they're busy little bees. So they're all spread out from Dubai, Sunshine Coast, and the Gold Coast. So we have to make appointments to see our family and save a lot of money <laughs> to, to see them. But that's life today, isn't it? So global. So global. Well, it's so good to be here. I was telling Michelle when I first arrived that the last time I was here, my youngest son was five years old and we took a little light aircraft out to Curtis Island and we stayed um, on a friend's lighthouse house out there for, it was just beautiful. So that, he was five then, he's now 26. So that's, that's a long time ago that I was last here. So I got up really early this morning and I went for a little walk to get my bearings and it was nice to have a bit of a fresher morning this morning, wasn't it? A bit cooler this morning. So I enjoyed my little walk this morning, and uh, it's just so lovely to be back. So thank you heaps for inviting me. It's so good to be here. Um, I've prepared a succession of um, talks today, and it's a Saturday. So well done, you, for getting up on a Saturday and being prepared to be out for the whole day. That is, uh, that's a massive effort, so well done. So I've prepared a series of messages that are sort of going to link in, dovetail with each other. And I'm going to start out this morning by talking about an issue that impacted my life incredibly and still does. So I don't pretend to have a handle on everything. I'm learning like you are and hopefully gaining some insight that I can put into place in my life. But who knows, as a Christian, you learn something, you start to put it in place and you realise that next week you've got to put it in place on a greater level because stuff hits you from left field and comes at you at a different angle and now there's a new way to actually apply that. And it's not as if we actually get a handle on everything, it's just that we get a handle on it for what we have to deal with today. And then we have to learn how to use the same principles in a new way with a different situation next week. So I'm not pretending I've got a handle on this, but I am going to share with you something that I believe impacted my life greatly. It's a very simple con concept. You're not unaware of it, but it just might, I just might present it in a new way today that might help you understand some of the issues in your life and what you're going through to help you stand stronger as a Christian. We're Pentecostals. It means we actually believe that the Holy Spirit is in us and is active in us and so can do above all that we hope, dream, imagine or think, right? Is that right? Are we a Pentecostal believing church? We are. So let's bring him back and let's maybe put some things back in place so that we become activated with the Holy Spirit so we don't have to sweat our way through every issue in life hoping and crawling and scraping our way to, to some sense of sanity and victory because we have the Holy Spirit within us and we sometimes forget that. So here's a concept. It's called, I'm going to call this message, um, The Truth and the Facts, Loving the Life You Never Wanted. Whose life turned out perfectly? Who had a plan for life and it just went swimmingly? Nothing went wrong, no hiccups, no road bumps along the way, just all... Put up your hand if you got to where you thought you were going to be and it all went perfectly. Great, I'm not the only one. So we know that life just... That's my beautiful husband, Phil. Um, and that, that's not the life I never wanted, by the way. That is the life I want. Um, I didn't actually think about that till just now. That sort of doesn't make sense. But, but that is... I do want to be with Phil. He is a great, he's a great husband. In fact, the best husband in the cosmos. I'll just put that, put that out there right now. But it, life doesn't always go to plan. Things happen out of left field that we never planned for, we never wanted, we never maybe expected would happen, but happened anyway. Well, I grew up in a, in a Christian home, 
And I had Christian parents and they had Christian parents and I think we're fifth generation Christian. So all we know is church. Born with a Christian spoon in my mouth. And, um, and we went to our Christian church and our Christian school and had our Christian friends and ate our Christian cornflakes and had our Christian dog. and So that's, that's my life. And I make no apologies for that because I, I don't have a testimony of gutter to glory. I don't have one of those. But do you know, it doesn't matter which family you were born into. You're not immune from crisis. You're never immune from the stuff of life. You know, it rains on the just and the unjust. We live in a broken and fractured world and stuff happens. You know, you read the bumper sticker. They don't use the word stuff, but I'm going to. Um, stuff happens, and it does, because we, have no, we, we often have no control over some of the things that happen to us in our life. I was born into this wonderful Christian family. Maybe we can have a look at a, a photo. There we are. Here's the Brady Bunch right here, the Australian <laughs> Brady Bunch. And um, look at those. So I'm right there on the left-hand side. Could I get my pants any higher, I wonder? Anyway, that's me with my bell bottoms. Um, on the left-hand side, there's my beautiful brother, Michael, on the right-hand side. Look at that hair. He couldn't get his pants any higher either, could he, really? That's what you did in the 70s. And uh, that's my little sister down the, down the front in the, with the little cap on and my brother, Mark. There's my dad. Look at those legs. He was a runner. Can you tell? <laughs> what, wonderful preacher. Best teacher of the Word of God I've ever met. And there's those running legs in full view for everyone. And there's my mum in green, dressed up as Kermit for the day. Um, but, uh, and she's living up in Queensland near us at the moment, which is wonderful. So there we are. We are at our campsite. Dad was a school teacher also. And every year he took us to this campsite on a lake. I grew up in Victoria, country western Victoria. And every year Dad took us to Lake Fyans at the, at the base of the Grampian Mountains. Gorgeous. Taught us to sail and swim and fish and climb mountains and do all those things. So I grew up doing, doing all those things. And it was at that point, I was about 16 there. But at 12 years of age, um, we were, we, 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 I got a dream. I had a dream. And at 12 years, I dreamt in, at home in my bed, asleep one night. I dreamt that God, I was at this place, at this campsite, and I was standing on the little step of the kiosk where we bought our chippies and our ice creams. And, and I was standing on the step, and I turned around on the step, and all the people were coming out of their, out of their caravans and their, and their tents and their... And they were coming to the kiosk, and they were all standing around, and I began to speak about the love of God to all of these people. I was 12 years old. And I woke up, and I wanted to be her. I wanted to be her. I woke up, and I wanted to say those same words, but I couldn't remember the words that she said. I wanted to preach that message, but I couldn't remember what the message was. But I so wanted to be her. But I was a shy little girl. And uh, we grew up in the country, and I, I thought I had very few options, fewer options than the girls in the city. And, and I guess I, I, I never had a high expect, expectation of that, but I so wanted to be her. We had a wonderful upbringing, wonderful church family, wonderful parents who loved one another and loved us. But it doesn't create immunity from the stuff of life, sadly. It doesn't. It doesn't create immunity. And so sometimes... The facts of life become so significant that sometimes we drift from that original dream that God gives us. Sometimes it just seems like it will never happen because circumstances present themselves in such a way that we believe, hmm, I have to live in plan B now because that actually is not going to happen. Well, many things happened in my life, especially the, the, being a bit isolated in the country. You always feel like you don't have as many options, so I had to leave home to go to uni. I married quite young, a man I met at my, my uncle's church where I was going in Melbourne, and, um, and we had 17 years of marriage. But I'm going to talk to you a little bit about that story in a moment. But here's the thing, throughout my life, the facts seem to get in the way of the truth. When you look in the dictionary about the, the, the definition of the truth and the facts, the dictionary, the English dictionary will tell us this, that the truth aligns with the facts. That's what the dictionary will tell us. The truth aligns with the facts. If you go into a court of law, what do the defence lawyers do? What, what do all the lawyers gather? The, they need to gather the what? They need to gather the facts so that they can know the truth. Okay, that's what they do. But the thing that I've found in my life is the facts don't always point to the truth. In God's great economy, we're shown that something else is at play. 
that there is a higher law of truth where the facts don't necessarily lead to the truth because the truth is actually higher than the facts that are presenting. And so we can't use the same system in, in, in our life as Christians as we would have if we, if we didn't know Christ. We can't use the same system because God's logic, his economy is quite different. Here's what happened when we became Christians. Some, some incredible things happened. Five incredible things happened. Well, many more than that, but five main things happened when we became Christians. We got forgiven. Put right, set right, made right. We are no longer considered sinful. John tells us that when we are known by our perfection, known by our righteousness. It's like, well, I'm not perfect. No, I know you're not, but you're not known for your sinfulness. You're known for your perfection. Isn't that a good thing to remember? So, no, we're not perfect, but we're not judged or known by our imperfection or our sin anymore because we have been forgiven. I love that thought. You've got to keep that thought in mind. The next thing that's happened is we've been adopted. Now, I know a whole lot of people who have been born, and they will say, I wasn't planned. I know a whole lot of kids that have been born, and, and their births were not planned. But I've never, ever seen an adoption happen that wasn't planned. Oh, look, suddenly there's an adopted child right on our doorstep. It doesn't happen. An adoption is a well-planned, well-thought-through process and costs you a truckload of money. It's very planned. So there's no accidental adoptions, right? So we've been adopted on purpose, with purpose, for purpose. That's who we are. You've got to remember that. Third thing, there's been a substance change within us. The Bible says that he turned our heart of stone into a heart of flesh. In other words, I now have a heart that's flexible and moldable, a heart that's, that's, that can be attuned to the Holy Spirit so that I can now hear God. I, I could actually... I could feel his presence before I wasn't a Christian because I got led to things and, and I got revelation from things. Non-Christians can do that too, you know, because they've got the Spirit of God too. You've got to remember that. But when I became a Christian, there was a substance change and I am attuned to that now. I'm attuned to what was all, always in place. I'm aware of that now. Fourth thing, there was a name change. I'm no longer a, a slave, the Bible says, to sin. I'm a daughter. I'm a child of the living God, there's been a name change and there's been a positional change. This is the most important thing this morning for us to remember. There's been a positional change. We are told in the Bible that we've been taken from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Kingdom of darkness over here, kingdom of light over here. We no longer live over here. We live over here. We live in the kingdom of light. Light, life, and love. John says in John, in his first gospel, he says... In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He goes on to talk about that Word became flesh and, and dwelt among us. He talks about the fact that the life of God became the light of mankind, of humankind. And that light of God, that light which is the life of God, shines in the darkness, and the darkness can't comprehend it. Snuff it out. Put a blanket over it. Extinguish it. It can't do it. Remember that. The light shines in the darkness, the light which is the life of God, Shines in the darkness, which belongs to what? The kingdom of darkness. Okay, The light shines in that, which is over there where we're living, in the kingdom of light. That light shines in this darkness, and this darkness can't extinguish it. This darkness can't make it go away. This darkness can't diminish it. This darkness can't make it small. This darkness can't convert it into, into, into darkness because it's, it's the life of God. That life became the light of humanity and that light shines in these dark places and this can't do anything about it unless we think it can. Okay, so with all that in mind, let's move on. We've been moved from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Paul wrote a letter to a Corinthian audience, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 2 to 3. And he said this to them, you, the Christians, you are a living letter. Okay, a living letter, known and read by all people. In other words, people look at you and um, you might be able to, I'm not sure what we're up to in our, in our PowerPoints. Let's have a look. We're up to, can you just move those through as we, as we speak? Okay, so there's me and my two boys and there's our dog, Rolex. He's, he, he's called Rolex because he was our expensive watchdog. Yes, yes. <laughs> keep, keep moving through. Here you go. Okay. Back to, the, back to the thing, we're not... Oh, we are there. Back one more. 
Right, let's just stay there. Okay, so Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians and he said, you're a living letter known and read by all people. In other words, people are looking at your life and they're reading a good news story. Well, they're supposed to be reading a good news story. He says, you're a living letter, not written on ink on tablets of stone, but written by the Holy Spirit on your heart of flesh. In other words, the Holy Spirit activated inside of us the life of God, which became the light inside of us, is shining in such a way that our life is lived so that other people look at us and they know what God looks like. So they're looking at us and they're actually seeing what God looks like. They're looking at us and reading a good story. But here's the thing. Often in life, the facts get in the way of our good story. Stuff happens to us and we end up living life that looks more like we're in the kingdom of darkness over here than we are in the kingdom of light. And when people look at our lives, they're not reading such a good story because it's not actually telling such a good story because we're living more out of this realm than we are in this realm. And so people are looking on. I remember one day we, um, we had our nieces and nephews uh, fly up from, from Melbourne and, and my boys were really little at the time. We had a really busy day and they took our youngest son upstairs to tell him a story and just get him out of the way so we could cook tea. And when they came down to eat dinner, I said to him, he was about four at the time, I said to him, did you enjoy your story? Oh, yeah. You know, when they're four and they're tired and it's like getting blood out of a stone. And it's the same until they're about 30, isn't it? <laughs> and then it's like, oh, yeah. What was your story about? Oh, Jesus riding in on the donkey. Oh, I love that story. That's just before the Easter story. Did you enjoy that? Oh, yeah. I was like, um, do you remember that the people um, were throwing things on the ground when the donkey came in? Do you remember that? Yeah, like leaves and stuff. Yeah, that's right. And, and coats. And, and the people were shouting something to Jesus. Do you remember, Matt, what they were shouting? He thought about it for a minute and he said, yeah. I said, get off the donkey and get off, give us a go. <laughs> like, as, as only a four-year-old could conjure up. And my nephew said at the time, good on you, Matt. Never let the facts get in the way of a good story. <laughs> and, I got, and I got to thinking about that and I thought, well, that's exactly what we do. We let the facts get in the way of our good story, don't we? We do. We let every, the stuff that happens, we let that get in the way of the good story. So it's not like the, the, the darkness is, is being extinguished by the light. It's almost like the light is trying to be extinguished by the darkness. Not that it can, but it's trying to. And so we live that way because often we let the facts get in the way of a good story. And when that happens, when that happens, often we're left with a whole lot of questions about our faith, about who God is, about how God answers prayer. We have all these questions where the simple the simple solution is get out of the kingdom of darkness, get back into the kingdom of light and let God be God. Start to think differently and watch how things flex and mould when we do that. And I know that sounds very simplistic, but there is a plan to this. When we can't do that, when we're stuck in the facts, we often end up in a place that I call Stuckville. We end up in Stuckville and we, we set up a house there, we build a house there and we, we, build, we build a house and we live in one Plan B Street, Stuckville, and, uh, and that's where we are. I can't move forward. I don't know how to move forward. Uh, you don't know how hard it is. You don't know what's happened to me. You don't know what I have to live through. You, you, you don't know how, 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 how difficult it is for me. You don't know the dynamics behind my situation. You, you don't know. And we have all of these excuses. And I'm not diminishing anyone's pain here this morning. I'm not diminishing anyone's difficult journey. I've done a few really difficult journeys. And no one teaches you how to navigate this stuff. No one teaches you how to do this. You don't get a crash course in how to deliver a son from, 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 addic from an addiction. No one gives you that manual when you have children. No one hands it to you. Nobody does. And so sometimes we end up living in this place of stuck where we think we have no options and there's no way forward. And it's a terrible place to find ourselves. What do we need to remember then? to live out this good story. If Paul says we're living letters, known and read by all people, how do, how do we actually get out of stuck places to live that good story? Well, I've just got two little points this morning that I believe are going to help you enormously. They're two little points, but they're huge. So um, they're huge. If we remember them and put them into place, they're huge. And the first point is this. It's a kingdom of light rule. No, we're not up to there yet. We're... Uh, we're um, we're running ahead of ourselves. Um, can we find uh, 
Kingdom of Light Rule 1, please. Maybe I should have a little clicker. Is it not there? Right. Let's not worry about it. Okay. Kingdom of rule number one. God's ways are higher than our ways. God's ways are higher than our ways. You know, no one wants to hear that when they're stuck in difficult situations. Nobody wants to hear that God's ways are higher than our ways because it's like, well, I wish he'd flip and tell me then. You know, <laughs> that's the least he could do. And we, we, we find ourselves thinking that this is just a cliche, you know, one of those platitudes that people like to say in our life when, when they don't know what else to say. Oh, don't worry, God's ways are higher than ours. Like, yeah, yay, I just wanted to hear that. Thanks, that's helpful. But, but when we remember that, we start to remember that God is a big God, that he knows the end from the beginning because he's outside of time. He's not restricted in time frames, nor is he restricted into the facts that confine our lives. He's bigger. He's over all of those things. So when we say that it's not just a little cliche or I don't know what else to say to you, it's actually a fact. God's ways are higher than ours. Isaiah 55, 8 says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts higher than your thoughts. My thoughts higher than your thoughts, my ways higher than yours. And then we see it played out all the way through the Bible. We see that sometimes one and one equals uh, two, and sometimes we see like one and one equals one, like the two shall become one. And what is all that about? And we see that a couple get married and they have one heart and one vision and one destiny together. We see that in, to gain in life, we have to give away. To be the top dog, top of the ladder, we have to learn to serve. You know, in to order to accumulate and get more, we've got to give away. You know, God's economy is very different from ours. His ways are higher than ours. We find Jesus doing some crazy things in the New Testament. One day he was with a group of 5,000 people, and it's probably double that because they didn't count women or children. And I'll talk about that next session. He didn't count women and children, so there's probably more than, than 5,000 people there. And he wants to feed them because they've been there all day, and there's no shops around. There's no 7-Eleven down the corner. And so all he's got is access to five loaves and two little fish and he prays and all of a sudden they're feeding 5,000 plus people with five loaves and two fish and then there's 12 baskets full left over in the end. Who can fathom that? I can't. And a little while later, he does the same thing again. This time he's got 4,000 people, seven loaves and a few fish and uh, he takes up seven baskets of leftovers in the end. I I'm trying to like logically work that out. It's like in the first instance, he has more people and less stuff and has more left over. In the second situation, he's got less people with more stuff and has less left over. There's sort of no logic. If you try and work God out, it's just, it's just, it, it's pointless. It's pointless. So for, even for theologians who get stuck in these tiny, trivial little matters, it's like, just stop wasting your time. Just try, why don't you just like live the gospel rather than trying to work out every detail and, and, and timelines about when Jesus is coming back? How's that helpful? How's that helpful right now for our community? And, and our, anyway, that's just me ranting for the moment. But God's ways are higher than ours because his economy is very different from ours. So we have to trust in a God we can't see to do things that we can't do ourselves. We have to trust him. His ways are higher than ours. We've been adopted. We're children of God. We've got a new heart. We've been forgiven. We live in the kingdom of light and his ways are higher. Thank you, heaps. His ways are higher than ours. We live in the kingdom of light. You know, every fact that would limit, polarize, restrict, disappoint, or keep us small doesn't limit God. He is bigger than all of those things. Point number two, rule number two. First thing we need to know, God is bigger. His ways and his thoughts are higher than ours. Keep that in your mind. You're never going to work him out. He will reveal to you some things about himself. And even, even using the language him and himself, it's, it's a human construct. God is not a man. He's not a he. God is spirit. We've given him a he for the use of language because we have to use language when we talk about God. 
but it sometimes limits who God is because we're limited by human language. God is bigger. Kingdom rule number two. Kingdom of light rule number two. We need to renew our minds. We have to renew our minds. It's absolutely necessary for us to renew our minds. When we're in those stuck places, if you keep thinking the same thoughts, you're going to get the same outcome. If you keep thinking the same thoughts, you're going to do the same behaviors and you're going to get the same outcomes. So we need to renew our minds to change the cycle of how we think. Paul said in Colossians 2.8, don't live according to the traditions of people and the principles of this world, but according to Christ. In other words, don't live according to just the facts that you see. Live according to what you know of Christ. Live according to what you know of the kingdom of light. And then in Romans 12.2, he says, don't be conformed to this world. In other words, don't be conformed to just the things that you see, feel, hear, that are weighing up against you. Don't be conformed just to those things but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We need to learn to renew our minds. And he says, then you'll be able to understand what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So conforming has to do with what we do on the outside. Transforming has to do with something that takes place on the inside of us. And it starts in the brain. It starts in the brain. You know, as Christians, we often talk about the heart being the center of, 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 of our guidance. You know, you can, you can believe something in your heart, and you can have a fervent desire about something in your heart, because yes, the Spirit of God reveals things to our heart, and our heart is the center of that emotional connection to what we know. And yes, we're, we're led by those things, but if your brain steps in and says, no, that's illogical, don't do it, you won't do it. If your brain steps in and says, that's enough, you'll stop. If your brain says, don't do that because that's, that's the outcome that's going to happen, you'll stop because you actually are directed by your brain. Paul knew that when he said we have to renew our mind. He didn't say you have to renew your heart. That's already been renewed. The substance of us has already been transformed, remember. But we have to renew our mind because that's the guidance center of our whole life. You are directed by your brain. Like it or not, our brain directs us. There's been a whole lot of um, new science that's come out of, uh, out of uh, the... the the study of the brain lately. And some of you might have read Caroline Leaf's stuff. Anyone familiar with Caroline Leaf's stuff? It's just, it is mind-blowing. <laughs> it is, because the, the science that's coming out of that is actually confirming what the Bible has been telling us for many, many years. We know that renewing of the mind now is actually a scientific and medical fact. We can actually renew the mind. It's actually um, measurable. Thinking is now measurable. You can measure thinking. Who would have ever thought that? You can measure thinking. Scientists have found, this is interesting, scientists have found that the human brain has been made and wired for love. Look it up. Don't trust me. Google it. Scientists are telling us that the brain has been wired for love. In other words, it hasn't been wired for negative thinking. It's been wired to think about love and positive thoughts. When we begin to think negative thoughts, this is what happens. The brain wires itself in such a way that our thinking processes travel down those wires that we actually make by those thoughts. And every time something bad happens, we default back to those brain pathways. We build the pathways with our thinking. You're building pathways constantly in your brain, constantly. If you continuously live in the kingdom of darkness over here and the world is coming in at you, it's hitting you, it's coming at you, and all you can think of is, I don't know when this is ever going to end. This is terrible. I don't know if we're, we're, this, is, this is redeemable. I don't know how we're ever going to find our way out of this. I don't know if my children are ever going to come home. I don't know if he's ever going to change. I don't know if this is... If we live in those places and, and it keeps us awake at night and it worries us and we're continuously living here, what you're doing is continuously making brain paths Pathways in your brain that every time something happens, you default back to that, that thinking. That's why it's hard to get out of that type of thinking. That's why it's hard to move from that thinking because you've already wired your brain. You default back to it every time something negative happens. You know, you come across someone and go, they're so negative. 
You know why they are? Because they've built those brain wave patterns in their brain and their brain is wired that way. They default back to that every time something bad happens. That's why they're like that. It actually shows us how addictions happen, how addictive thinking happens because the brain has been... That's why addictions don't get better overnight. That's why people who have had addiction, it's a long journey. It's a really long process for them to rewire their brains. But here's the good news. You can actually rewire your brain. Scientists tell us that if you actually think the opposite to what you've been thinking and act upon those things, your brain gets rewired. And so you can actually, what? Renew your mind. So scientists is telling us what Paul's been telling us all along. Renew your mind. In other words, you have to think different thoughts. You have to put different thoughts in place. And you might think, well, that's ridiculous. I can't say it's working out when it's not. Well, it's called faith. It's called faith. I know, it's hard. It makes you look a bit stupid. Yes, everything's great. Not. You know, it's hard. And I'm not talking about being, you know, a ridiculous scenario in a Monty Python film um, with both your legs cut off and it's like, no, I'm fine. It's all good. And both your arms get cut off and, no, nothing to see here. All wonderful, just buoyant and fabulous. No, 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 I'm not talking about being ridiculous and in denial. I'm talking about looking at your circumstances and knowing that there's a higher law of God above that. God's ways are higher than ours. We don't know everything. That's a good thing to, to remember. We don't know everything. That God does. And that when we live in this place where we're stuck and we've rewired our brain in such a way, remember that God's ways are higher. And because we can, we, if we can remember that, we can then start to think God's thoughts over the situation. It's not just my stupid thoughts. It's not just my pie in the sky, I wish something would happen thoughts. It's actually using the word of God to speak something into a situation that hasn't happened yet. It's what Abraham did. What did he do? He called things as if they weren't as if they were. Because God said that's the way to progress. Call things that are not as if they were. That's the way to progress. And so we start to rewire our brain by thinking God's thoughts over a situation. And we start replacing the way we were thinking and rewire it so that we can actually rewire ourselves and start living back into the kingdom of light rather than being stuck in the kingdom of darkness. Well, that's a, that's a, that's a great scenario and, and, and that's a really good principle. It's a little bit harder to apply but I had to learn it the difficult way. I had to learn it the tough way. When I was um, at university in, in Melbourne, I met and then shortly later married my husband in Melbourne. And um, we were involved in a very big, vibrant church in Melbourne. And we, um, we had a busy and full and, and big life. And what I didn't know is that my husband brought in a lot of, a lot of stuff that he had kept very secret and a lot of things that he had not ever dealt with and he brought them all into our marriage and they began to unfold over the years and be revealed and they started to present over the years and my life just looked stuck. I felt stuck and I felt like this is plan B. I just have to learn to live with it. I have to learn to live with plan B because it is what it is and I have no control over this and it just is. It's life now. We had a very difficult 17 years. It wasn't difficult every day. We had fun and we did holidays, but it was difficult because when there's secrets and when there's behaviours that are never corrected, when there's behaviours that, that never change, when a person can present one way in public and something very different in private, that's a difficult place to live in for 17 years. And, um, and, and I thought that was my lot. I thought this is plan B for me. And without knowing it, I began to feel very, very trapped. But one day, my husband left our family. We had two little boys, grade two and grade six at the time. And he left our family for somebody else. And so I was left with two little boys in Queensland. I come from Victoria, so all my family are in another state. I left a career in dentistry, because that's what I did in, in uni before this. So I left a career, a family, moved to Queensland, and now my husband's gone. Not only that, the bank accounts were emptied. 
the mortgage was not paid, the cars were taken, and the electricity was turned off. I had no family and no job and no money and no options. And so I found myself in a situation where you think, how, how did I get here? And wh why do these bad things happen when my heart, from when I was a little girl, was to serve God and love God and to help others? And now I need help. Now I'm the one who needs help. I'm the one who can't move. I'm the one who's stuck. I'm the one who doesn't know how to move through life now. And I remember laying on my bed one Sunday afternoon and I looked out of our bedroom window and we'd bought a house for a fabulous price just, just in a suburb that was just up and coming so that the prices were cheaper and it was an older house that we were doing up and it was the delight of my heart to do this. And I looked out onto the swimming pool that we had and the tennis court, looked out onto that, realising I don't own any of this anymore. This was the dream. This is where my boys would bring their friends home to. This would be the home that they would get married from. You know, this was the dream. Gone. Gone. I don't own this house anymore. In fact, I don't own nothing anymore. In fact, that day, on my bed that day, I didn't have money for bread and milk tomorrow and no car to get my kids to school. It's like, how do you start again from scratch in middle age with two kids? And how do I live out that good story? Because it doesn't look too good to me. This is not a good story, God. This is not a good story. How do I live out this good story Paul talks about? What are people going to read when they look at my life? What are people going to see of you when they look at my life? I'm done. This is useless. And the, and, and the worst thing for me, and this is probably a pride thing, but the worst thing for me is I felt like I was wearing a big D on my forehead. I was going to be a divorced woman. Shame. Shame. And I thought, my, my days of ministry are done. That train left a long time ago. You know, I'm done. I, I, that dream that I had at 12, that's never going to happen. And now this, I'm living in plan B. I set up house in one plan B street, Stuckville. And I, I was there for about a good year. I was there. Until I believe the Spirit of God spoke to my heart and said, you know what, people don't need to see stuff like husbands and houses and cars to read a good story. They read a good story wherever you are. You can live in a refugee camp and tell a good story. You, know, you don't have to have stuff to tell a good story. Here's the thing. Instead of asking, why did this happen to me? How about asking, now that this has happened, what will I do? There's a better question. So I began to ask God, now that this has happened, what will I do? And I'm sure God threw up his arms and go, oh, I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> Hallelujah, she made it. She's here. And so a person who says, now that this has happened, what can I do? God says, okay, open slather. Open book. Let's, let's start um, visiting afresh this journey, this dream that you had. Let's go back to that dream. Let's start writing the story now. Because you know what? I really believe that, um, that God doesn't give us, um, there's no second chances in God. When I often say that to Bible college students because I've lectured Bible college for about eight years and, and often I'll say to the theological students, in God there are no second chances and the room's silent. They're going, oh, my life just went down the toilet. Like, you know, like, I, I leave the silence for a moment. I say, no, 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 there are no second chances in God. There are only fresh beginnings. Only fresh beginnings. If there were second chances in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve took the apple and, 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 and sin entered the world and, and all of that, here's what would have happened. If there were second chances, God would have pushed the replay button. And gone back. Those who know what a tape recorder is and the young people are going, what the heck did she just do? I don't even know what she just did then. <laughs> Forget it. Ask an old person, we'll tell you. God would have pressed the replay button and, and gone, back to the, gone back to the, before they took the apple and said, okay, here's the apple, what will you do now? That's a second chance. But there was no second chance. It was only a fresh beginning in the Garden of Eden. God began to rewrite the same story. And so God began to rewrite the same story and gave me a fresh beginning in, um, in my life. And I began to see things quite differently. But here's the thing. When I was stuck in this really stuck place, there were 
I documented 15 fat facts that surrounded my life. I said, but God, you're asking me now that this has happened, what will I do? Here are the facts. Here are the things that disturb me and keep me limited and small and stuck. And I documented them and I presented them to him. And I've since written them in a book. And here they are. Here are the, and I call them the 15 fat facts. You might have 27 or 134, but at this moment, I had 15 of them. And here they were, 15 fat facts. You're a single mum. There you go. You're a single mum. You're now a statistic. It mattered to me that I was a statistic. It just did. It's personal, but it mattered to me. You're a statistic. You have no money. You have no career anymore. Your family is 2,000 kilometres away. You have no house. You have no car. You have no future. You've lost your opportunities. You've lost what you worked for. You've lost what you believed for. You have very few options. You have a stigma attached to your status. You are confused and you will find it hard to make ends meet. In other words, you'll never get ahead. There were my 15 fat facts. And when I believe the Spirit of God impressed upon my heart, okay, those are the facts. What does the Bible say? What do I say? Are you living in the kingdom of darkness? Is this ruling your life? Are you saying that that's your life now? Like that's your truth now? Is that your truth? Well, no, God, it's not my truth, but they are the facts. And, and it's, it's reality. They exist. You say, oh, sure, yep, give you that. But where are you living? Well, I was living over here in the kingdom of darkness. Until I moved back here and the light shone on those facts, I began to see that there was a higher law of truth that was operating above those facts, despite those facts. And so I began to think how I would, um, how I would replace these 15 fat facts with the higher law of truth over my life, the higher law of God over my life. And so I began to document what I would do for that. What, what happens with us in these places is that two things can happen. One can keep us stuck and one can help us to move forward. If we can go to the hurt heart, we get a hurt heart. And a hurt heart is the sum total of lingering memories of wounds incurred from people and circumstances throughout our life. We cannot avoid a hurt heart. You've all had one. You'll all get one. It's life. A hurt heart is normal. And a hurt heart lingers. And a hurt heart just doesn't get better or just it doesn't just get away. It's attached to our memories, which is attached to our emotions. My dad died now eight years ago, and I still cry when I talk about my dad because it hurt my heart that he's not here anymore, and it still does. And so it's, it's, it's connected to who I am. I miss him every day. There's a hurt heart because of that. There's a hurt heart because of a number of things, because it becomes who we are. But the difference between, there's a difference between a hurt heart and a bitter spirit. A bitter spirit is the, is the result of revisiting and replaying the memories over and over, each time changing the scenario to either incur hurt or revenge on another or to punish ourselves. We can avoid a bitter spirit. We can avoid a bitter spirit. We can avoid that. And I realised that I was developing a bitter spirit. I was developing that because I'd rewired my brain according to the facts and God was gently moving me back into the kingdom of light and reorienting me so that, uh, that to help me realize there's nothing wrong with a hurt heart. Everyone gets one. That's okay. I understand that. But you don't have to end up with a bitter spirit. You don't have to end up. Any, anyone's ever seen the film Everyone Loves Raymond? Anyone seen that? It's a really oldie. Nobody in the room. I'm using an illustration where nobody in the whole room knows that. Anyway, there's a mother-in-law, Marie. She's so annoying. And when she comes across the road to get to their house, they shut the curtains, lock the door, they bob down, they be really quiet so that she hopes they're not home. Because Marie is really annoying, but Marie is the only one that doesn't know Marie's annoying. Everyone else does. And a bitter spirit can get to the point where you're the only one you don't know. You're the only one who doesn't know you're living with a bitter spirit. Everyone else can see it. It's like spiritual BO. You know, you're the last one to know you've got it. Everyone else can smell you and you're the last one to know you've got it. A bitter spirit is where we end up living in that place and it gives off this odour. The Bible told, tells us that we are the fragrance of Christ and that we're a good story. But for that to come out of us, we need to live here. 
And so over time, I began to do what, um, do what uh, the Bible says, and that is renew your mind. How did I do that? Well, I had to actually heal myself from toxic thinking. And so I used what I call Paul's replacement therapy. You ready? Paul's replacement therapy. Paul says in Philippians that, um, that we... Um, we are to think on things that are good and true and perfect and lovely, anything worth, praiseworthy, worth, anything of virtue, anything of good report. He says, think on these things. Think on these things. But there's something we need to do before that because Paul also says in 2 Corinthians 10.5, he says we need to cast down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Everything over here in the kingdom of darkness that bullies us into thinking that this is our life exalts itself above the kingdom of light principles that God has given us over here. And so to take every thought captive, Paul says, when a thought enters your mind, you take it captive like an enemy. With an enemy, you take it captive and you interrogate it. Are you for us or against us? Are you taking me forward or are you taking me backwards? Are you taking me into the plan of God or are you keeping me stuck? interrogate those thoughts. And if they don't belong to the kingdom of light, chuck them out and move back to the light. Throw them out, interrogate them, take them captive, Paul says. But Jesus told us something else in the book of Matthew. He says, once you chuck them out, you can't leave a place barren and clean. Jesus said that. If anything has been cast out, like these thoughts, for instance, you can't just leave the place barren because those thoughts will just come back again. So if you cast the thoughts out, you've got to now replace them from something from the kingdom of light. So we, we look and see God's higher law of truth and we replace that blank space with God's thoughts. Now we fill the place with that and that's what rewires our brain. So I learned to do this over time and I've documented what I replaced my 15 fat facts with. Okay, do you want to hear them? Yeah. All right, so here they are. So remember the, the negative ones, the, the sad ones, you're a single mum and all of those sorts of things. Here's the 15 counteractive facts that come from the kingdom of light. This is Paul's replacement therapy. Whatever is good, whatever is true, whatever is lovely, whatever is praiseworthy, whatever is of virtue, whatever is of good report, he says, think on these things. Okay, so here's the replacement. Number one, he is a husband to the widow and a father to the fatherless. He is that. We can overcome because we are a child of God. We have an inheritance. The steps of a good man or woman are ordered by the Lord. He puts the solitary in families and makes the bound up to prosper. He will restore to me the years that have been eaten away. Not even one sparrow falls to the ground without God knowing it, and I am more valuable to him than a bird. He knows the plans he has for me, for they are good and not evil, to give me a hope and a future. Sing, barren woman. Draw back your curtains. Stretch out your tent pegs. Make your boundaries bigger. Think big. You will not be put to shame. My eyes haven't seen, nor have my ears heard, nor has it even entered my heart the things that God has prepared for me simply because I love him. Number 11, he came to give me life in abundance. Number 12, the end days will be better than the beginning. Number 13, he has chosen and accepted me. Number 14, the peace of God, which is beyond all my human understanding, will guard my heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And number 15, God will supply all my needs in ways that are beyond me because his ways are higher than ours. And so I began to replace my negative thinking with these facts, and life began to look different. Why? Did it change circumstances? No, not straight away. It changed me. And because I was changed, I behaved differently. And because I behaved differently, I got different outcomes. So my life started to move forward. It started to look like more like the kingdom of light and less like being stuck in the kingdom of darkness. His ways higher than ours. His ways are higher than ours. And we need to renew our mind by the word of God. Paul's replacement therapy is so powerful because it actually fulfills what science is telling us is scientifically relevant and necessary for our brains. So it's necessary for us to do this daily, weekly, when Paul tells us in Romans 12 to not to be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of our mind, he starts out by saying this. He says, before you do that, present yourself as a living sacrifice, 
Present yourself to a, as a living sacrifice. Keep moving. Present yourself... Oh, wrong PowerPoint. We can turn that off. We don't need that. Um, present yourself as a living sacrifice. In Paul's day, sacrifices weren't living. They were dead. Okay, they weren't living. So you had to slaughter the pigeon or the sheep or the ox or whatever it is. You had to slaughter that. And it was always a dead sacrifice. Paul's saying, present yourself as a living sacrifice. And so when he said that, his Jewish audience would have known this. They would have known that any sacrifice that it's put on the altar had its head cut off, its legs cut off, and its inner parts cleaned out. Had its head cut off, its legs cut off, and its inner parts cleaned out. So Paul's audience is listening, reading this letter, thinking, Present yourself as a living sacrifice to God before you can take on not conforming but transforming. Present yourself as a living sacrifice. And they would have thought, okay, we've got to have our heads cut off, our legs cut off, and our inner parts cleaned out. So here's what they would have thought. We laugh at that because our Western minds go straight to form. Jewish minds go straight to function. That's, that, that was not funny to them. They, they went straight to, okay, we know what to do. And here's what they would have instantly been drawn to. When my head is cut off, it means I've, I've disconnected my thinking to allow God's thinking to connect with me. I've disconnected my thinking so that God's thinking can flow through me. So in other words, Lord, have my mind. Lord, have my will. Lord, direct me. Let my mind be the mind of Christ. They would have been drawn straight to that principle. My head cut off means, God, I'm no longer mine. My mind is now yours. Direct me. Feet cut off. They would have gone straight to, okay, God, you be the one who directs my feet from now on. You, you are, guide my direction, Lord. Take my feet to where you would take my feet. Let me walk the paths that you have established for me. And inner parts cleaned out. Lord, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit in me. Lord God, clean me out on the inside so that I can be filled with all you are on the inside. That is presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him. Presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him head cut off, feet cut off, inner parts cleaned out. Presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice is the first place we start. And do you know what? For seven years, I put this into practice. And for seven years, my life went back into my career in dentistry. We, we built ourselves up to a position where we, we had no debt and we were, we, we were living life uh, Okay, and after about four years, I went back, I left my full-time job and went into full-time ministry. And you don't do that for the money. <laughs> not. But God has supplied our needs in ways we knew not of. And God cared for us. And for seven years, um, we ministered and we, 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 we uh, lived together, our little three of us. And then my associate pastor introduced me to Philip Candler and married us 10 months later. And we've been married this year now for 13 years. And we have a very big blended family. And, uh, and God has, as it were, restored the years the locust ate away and, um, and has fulfilled those desires. And the dream I had at 12, sometimes we think it should happen next year. Sometimes it's nearly 30 years later that these things are fulfilled. But God knows because he's higher and his law of truth is higher than the facts. And I love that thought. And I've lived it to be able to say to you today, it's the truth for our life and it's the freedom for our life. Amen? Amen. Why don't we stand together and just seal this moment because I believe during this little time together, some of you have been considering the facts of your life and some of you have been just reflecting on some of the places where you are currently stuck or have been stuck. 
And I believe that God has dropped into spirits here this morning, some, turned on some lights and dropped some little gems into some of your spirits. And you, only you know, nobody knows but you what those things are and where those places are that you've been and, and are at in your life. Sometimes there are some places you haven't even shared with other people. There are some places that are just privately yours. And you've done this journey for a long time on your own. I did this journey for 17 years. I barely spoke to anyone. It was too shameful, too hard. I didn't know how to. But you know what? This is a community of faith. And if, you're, if this is a family and families function well, we help each other, we stand with each other, we resource each other, and we love each other through stuff. And so this morning, as we reflect on some of these thoughts and the places that you've been and where you're at, I just want to give you an opportunity right now just to just have a moment of, of just quiet reflection. And if, if, there is a, if there is a place in your life where God has dropped one of those little gems, where God has turned the light on for you, in some, and you know that's a prompting from the Holy Spirit, I'm expecting that people are going to be moved here Today, People are going to be moved from the kingdom of darkness thinking and behavior into the kingdom of light again. Not that you ever were, were dwelling there, but your thoughts took you back to that place. And we're going to bring you back. We're going to help you move back today and stand with you. And if that's you today, if God has drawn back the curtain for you, if Holy Spirit has dropped something into your spirit and you feel prompted this morning, just just raise your hand. I'm expecting hands will be raised all over the show. And I just want people around you to come and pray with you, just to come and pray with you. Wherever there are hands up, look around everyone. Wherever there's a hand up, go and pray. Put your hands around them. Love these people and pray with them that they're going to be moved back into the kingdom of light this morning, that, that their brains are going to be rewired in a way that they're going to think uh, God's thoughts over their situation, and they are going to see change. Change is going to happen because it cannot not happen. Remember, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot comprehend it. Today, the Spirit of God wants to move in you. Today, the Spirit of God wants to make a change. Today, the Spirit of God says, we're moving you back from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Today is a line in the sand day. You're going to step over this, and you're not going to go back. Today is a day we're going to cast out thinking and replace it with God's thinking. Let's pray. If those of you who are standing on your own, gather with somebody else or sort of stretch out your hands and be praying with them. Don't let anyone stand on their own. Let's be praying together. Let's see this as a transformation moment in people's lives. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Paul said, beware, beware lest anyone cheat you into thinking and believing the basic principles of this world or the facts. Beware lest anyone cheat you into thinking that the facts rule you and not Jesus. Beware, he says. Lord God, this morning, we just surrender our lives afresh to you. Lord God, we present ourselves as a living sacrifice. Lord, there is a difference between the facts and the truth. Lord, the facts may present as one thing. They might sing their ugly, loud song over our life. But Lord God, we allow your higher law of truth, your higher ways to resonate within our spirit that we might let you be God and let you do what you do in these situations. Lord, let us be patient. Let our hearts be opened and our minds active, active, in replacing the kingdom of darkness thoughts with kingdom of light thoughts. So this morning, Lord, we cut off our head. Have our 
heads, Father. Direct our thoughts. Allow your higher law of truth to become the way we think this morning. Let us replace those thoughts that keep us awake at night with the thoughts that your word promises us, the thoughts that come from and resonate from your heart, Father. Have our feet direct us in the ways that you would go and have our inner parts, Lord, create in us a clean heart and renew a right spirit within us. Lord, we fill those spaces with your higher law of truth in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 We have a little handout for you. We have handouts. So we've got a little handout for you to just to remind you of some of the things that you've been thinking and to help you reflect on this session so that you can continue your thinking along these lines and answer some pertinent questions that will help you move into the week with these new thoughts and with this new um, deliberate mind to move forward into the things of God. So we'll hand those out to you and we can, are we going to